1: Look at the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. We have a favorite author of mine back. Um, we're going to be speaking today with Marlene Seven Bremner, and we're talking about her latest book, The Hermetic Marriage of Art. And alchemy, imagination, creativity, and the great work. Um, for those of you who remember, um, she was on in January of 2023. And if you don't remember, listen to that podcast. It was absolutely fabulous. And that's going to dovetail into uh, this. Work that she's talking about today. And folks, if you're looking for a book for the fall and winter, just to carry you through so you can leisurely read, gain more understanding of yourself and of others, this book is the great book to do that. Okay. She presents it in a style that is easy to read, shocked full of knowledge, will send you down a path of deep thinking. And because you think deeply, and you use your imagination a little bit, it's going to bring about great change. And we're going to de- delve more into that um, in a moment, but it's a great book for your fall and winter reading list. Now, the information shared and Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through the blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's been holding you back. But you guys know I always ask, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation revealing cutting-edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients say that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence, but they also say, if you really don't want to know go to ask monique my background includes a doctorate in metaphysics reiki master teacher ordained minister and clinical hypnotherapist so whether you are stressed depressed or possessed i can help to find out more about me and what i offer go to my website that's moniquechapman.com i'm going to invite you to like and follow me on facebook and linkedin My guest today, Marlene Seven Brimner, is a self-taught oil painter, author, poet, and musician, exploring esoteric themes arising from her study and practice of hermeticism, alchemy, magic astrology and mythology seven developed her painting career in the pacific northwest showing her art in both group and solo exhibitions along the west coast and internationally and she now resides in the desert of new mexico and you can check her out um, at her website and that's marlene7bremnar.com m-a-r-l-e-n-e-s-e-v-e-n-b-r-e-m-n n a r.com
2: welcome seven thank you monique thanks for the lovely introduction i'm happy to be welcome. here i guess i should say welcome back <laughs> yeah thanks for having me back yeah it's great to have you back you know i have
1: as i said um earlier i absolutely love the book and folks she has an eight page full color insert of her artwork in the middle and it, you know if this woman can teach herself to paint like this anybody can do anything okay <laughs> it is amazing um before we get into the nuts and bolts of your book let's talk about your art for a moment how did you develop it so wonderfully
2: Uh well you know i was very artistic as a child but as i got older i just didn't feel like i was good enough to pursue it as any type of career So Mm -hmm. I kind of put it on the back burner and just did art as as a hobby for a long time. And then I moved up to Olympia, Washington, and was surrounded by other artists that were, you know, trying to make a living with their art and music. And I got very inspired. And so I decided to apply myself and try to improve my skills. And I started with watercolor pencil, and then I moved to acrylic paint, and then I finally found oils and, um, kind of consciously decided that I didn't want to be too heavily influenced by other artists Mm -hmm. and other paintings. So I just, you know, I got down the basics of like how to use oil paints. And from there, I just taught myself. And um, it was just a process of trial and error over several years um, before I had anything that I was really willing to show anybody. And this was during a time in my life when I was also going through a lot um, emotionally and mentally and um, dealing with some unresolved trauma from youth, you know, and Mm -hmm. through my early studies of alchemy and the beginning process of learning how to oil paint, um, these two things got fused together, alchemy and the creative process, and that really became the foundation for all of the work that I've done since then. Um, understanding the creative process as um, a powerful means of self transformation and with, you know, um, powerful results as well.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, out of your 12 plates, I think point Plate three um, is my
1: personal favorite. And um, folks, you have to get the book and see what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's absolutely, <laughs> positively gorgeous. It really resonated me. So thank you very much for including that. But let's start off by talking about imagination. Because in your introduction, you start out talking about imagination. When I talk to people about imagination, just imagine it. and You can create it. They're like, yeah, right. Um, people don't, tend to believe that imagination, which is part of our thought process, starts the wheels of creation moving. So talk to us about that.
2: Yeah, well, I always like to um, talk about how, you know, the imagination plays such a pivotal part in all of creation, the image-making powers of the creator itself. And that every time that we engage with the imagination and with the creative act, we're tapping into that original creative power of the universe. Uh And yet, in the current paradigm, and especially since the Enlightenment, the imagination has been sort of um, cast into the dung heap and considered to be unreal and something that's not really that valuable, even though it really is and it comes into play in so many ways, we just don't tend to acknowledge it as much um mm-hmm. you know even in the scientific method like imagination and fantasy plays a big part in innovation and coming up with ideas that are then tested through the scientific method so it's really just a matter of shifting our perspective around it and instead of saying oh that's just your imagination you're imagining things um seeing it as really a divine faculty that we have and a great power and when we're doing any sort of spiritual or magical work, we're using the imagination to connect with higher beings and higher aspects of the self. And through visualization and um, all of that, we're able to envision different forms and uh, engage with them through that means.
1: Okay. What do you say to the person who's been up, brought up in a strict religious background, and I'm talking about organized religion, no matter what flavor, and they have a certain BS belief system, and mm-hmm. they feel that their belief system doesn't allow for the imagination because yeah. it's not uh, solid, if you will?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I feel like that would be a very limited experience of reality. And I don't really think that we can fully separate ourselves from the imagination. Uh, I think it's always active, whether we're aware of it or not. And, you know, it's a matter of how consciously we use it. So for someone like that, uh, if they wanted to access their imagination, but they were feeling, you know, conflicted by their belief system, I would invite them into the alchemical process itself to kind of deconstruct that belief system and really get to the core uh, of it and understand, you know, why, why it's meaningful for them and if it's useful for them and if there are ways that maybe it can be broken down and restructured to allow for a little more imagination and freedom. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, to me, when, as I was reading the book and contemplating it, you know, I was thinking that even those thoughts that go on in your head, if they're not of the past or even sometimes the past, like you have a disagreement with someone and you start thinking, well, I could have said this, I should have said that in a sense that's your imagination, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. We do it all the time when we imagine scenarios and we worry about things or we replay conversations or we project into the future about conversations that might happen that haven't Mm -hmm. happened yet. And every time we do that, it's in a way, we're casting a spell, especially if we infuse those thoughts with a lot of emotional energy. So one of the things with the alchemical process is purifying the mental realm. So um, really becoming self-aware and observing our thoughts and catching ourselves when we get stuck in these kind of repetitive loops, because as we get stuck in those and we infuse them with all of this emotional energy, we're actually giving them power to become manifest in reality. And if these are things that we don't want to happen, then that can be a dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. So the more we can kind of, um, distill our thoughts, clarify them and restructure them in a way that's actually creating, positive, healthy, beautiful scenarios for ourselves and for others, um, the more we'll see that reflected in the external world.
1: Okay. Well, let's um, back up a little bit and let's talk about the great work in alchemy. Um, In the book, you describe uh, four stages of the great work. Talk to us about them and how we can integrate them into our lives today. High level, because folks, this runs deep. So she's going to give you a high level overview. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. So the four stages originally referred to transformations within the alchemist's vessel, and that might have been a plant material or a mineral or a metal. And what they observed was a series of color changes. And there's slight variations on the color changes, but it's generally agreed that it moves from black to white to red. And then in the older traditions, um, I think they go back to Heraclitus, there's a yellow stage between the white and the red, so it's black, white, yellow, red. And these all have different sort of uh, alchemical processes that go along with them. And the beginning of all of it is in the darkness and the blackness. And this relates to the prima materia, the first matter of creation. And so the alchemists were very uh, preoccupied with obtaining the prima materia and beginning the great work. And I relate the prima materia to that darkness within us, that generative place, the unknown and the mystery where all of creation arises from within us. And also the unconscious parts of ourselves, the hidden parts of ourselves that are waiting to be discovered. And so in a sense, it's like we go into the depths of the earth and we extract these raw metals that have been just waiting there for us to find them and Mm -hmm. we call them out and we submit them to different processes of transmutation and refinement and separation and coagulation. And then we bring them back together. And all of this unfolds throughout the four stages of the work, but it begins with that darkness. And so um, in one's personal experience, this might just be a time of deep reflection. It could be a time of depression. Um, anxiety or fear. It could happen in someone's life after a great loss. Um, mm-hmm. It also might just arise from some unknown place and one kind of feels maybe creatively blocked uh, or melancholic. And it can also arise through a sort of intentional self-initiation, and perhaps through a visionary experience um, with psychedelics or something like that, or just through one's intention to discover what's hidden within. And so that's where the great work begins. It's in the in the shadow realm within us and confronting these sort of hidden or dark, mysterious parts of ourselves and allowing them to be there. And it can be a very uncomfortable place, but when you look at it in the context of it being the beginning of a process, And Mm -hmm. all generation arises from putrefaction and light comes from darkness. And then we can sort of transform our relationship to these times in our life and embrace them in a way that is creative and um, spiritually enriching. And from Mm -hmm. there, once we kind of are able to embrace these, these times and these experiences, We'll start to see things shift, and that's when the second stage of the great work comes in, and that's called the albedo or the whitening. And this is a very lunar, purifying phase. Um, has to do with the water element and processes of dissolution, where you know these BS belief systems are broken down into the water, like a salt crystal dissolving in water and we connect with something greater than ourselves and we're absorbed into a greater ocean of awareness and maybe start to see things in a deeper, more symbolic way. And Mm -hmm. during this time, uh, we can work with our dreams, we can get into um, a more lunar receptive state of being and listen to the subtle messages that we're receiving through conversations with others um, from nature and interactions with animals from our dreams and really tap into this um, other level of re- other layer of reality that's occurring all around us all, all of the time. And through connecting with something beyond ourselves, we start to um, dissolve limiting belief structures within us and open okay. up to greater possibilities and, From there, we might start to have in the creative process, this might be when we start to have, you know, some real inspired ideas. And as we move along in the process and increase the fire under our vessel and the intensity of our attention and our intention in the work, these ideas can start to coagulate and come together and um, be more infused with um, a solar consciousness, a sort of fermenting agent that develops things and matures things and brings them along. So in the creative Mm -hmm. process, this is when things are really developing and coming together. And then spiritually, we might be in a process of integration. So we went through a difficult time in the first stage, we kind of opened up and maybe got some inspiration and healing in the second stage. And now we're integrating it and bringing it into our physical body, understanding it through ritual and through Uh, intentional action or creativity that helps express what we've um, learned so far through the process. Mm -hmm. And the final stage is called the rubato and that's the reddening. And this is when the work is brought to completion and alchemically, this is when the opposites within us, the conscious and the unconscious, the male and female, um, the inner and the outer, the above and below, um, these things are brought together into a harmonious Union so we're not overly applying the rational cognitive mind and we're not overly stuck in the sort of irrational lunar realms but these two things are working in harmony and we um, experience the inner reality um we experience that externally as a reflection in the world around us and then we mm-hmm. also experience the world around us as an internalized, internalization of the cosmos. So, yeah. And in the creative process, this would be when your work has come to completion, you're making the final refinements and adjustments. And when it's completed, then it comes time for that to be brought out into the world. And so in the final stage, there's this sort of transition from the inner work of healing and development and union to projecting that outward in a way that Uh, transmits the spiritual awareness that you've attained through the process, Uh through the Uh work that you've produced and allows other people to be touched and transmuted by it.
1: Therefore, if you see their light and you like their light, you will align so to speak.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Now, what do you say to the person right now who's really floundering, they're struggling? I mean, between all the crap that's going on in the world, whether it's politics or war or the um, climate change or climate change deniers, what do you say to the person who just, they're, they're struggling, they wanna wrap their mind around something positive and moving forward, but they keep getting caught up in the lower vibrational energy that mass media is putting out there. What would you say to them to help them jump that
2: chasm so that they
1: could have more positivity in their lives.
2: I would say we need you. We need you to be fully realized. We need you to open up and express yourself and express the unique essence that is you. Mm -hmm. And um, that it's, we need to be aware of what's going on. You know, we need to be in touch with the things that are happening in the world and in our communities. But if the awareness of those things is dragging us down to the extent that we're not able to contribute by being our fully realized, authentic, genuine, unique expression of divine light that we're meant to be, then we're not doing what we can to change the situation. Because I feel like that's really the core of transmuting the collective reality that we're experiencing is everyone on an individual level, getting in touch with that deeper core essence within them and allowing that to unfold and express itself through everything that you do. And yeah, we need you. We need you to be here fully present and engaged so that, um, we have a, a chance to turn things around. Do you think it's too late? I don't, I don't, I have, um, it, it may be a hopeful perspective, but when I think about everything that's going on in the world, I really feel like we're in a collective process of going through that first stage of the opus, mm-hmm. the nigredo or the blackening, and mm-hmm. with social structures, political structures, all of this is sort of breaking down and we're dealing with the fallout from that. And there's a lot of polarization Uh, Which is another thing that goes along with that first stage where we kind of feel polarized within ourselves, and Uh we're feeling that on a collective level. But we need to go through that process, things need to die away and be, you know, broken down so that they can be restructured into new, more coherent forms that actually support um, the whole you
1: know interesting that you say that because um there's been a lot of earthquakes and at the time of this taping there was a huge earthquake in i think morocco someplace Mm. over there and um you know great devastation i mean a lot of people perished um and you know they agreed on a metaphysical level to come in and have this experience and move on and like you said newness can come from destruction but how do we in a sense construct or deconstruct things in our lives that we feel are holding us back in order to have that renewal and use the imagination to move forward
2: well first of all I think it's a matter of becoming aware of those things and mm-hmm. becoming aware of those things might require taking some time and slowing down a little bit and you know being, in the uncomfortable space of just looking at the self, observing the self. And anytime that we feel, you know, anxious or tense, or we're having a difficult time in a relationship uh, or there's conflict arising, you know, in our work environment or in our um, personal sphere in any way, these are things that we can look at and sort of self reflect and if we see someone else as embodying something that we don't like, maybe it could be a projection of ours, you know? And so taking some time to self-reflect and say, maybe that's something within me and how am I um, acting in that way or behaving in that way, in a way that I might not be conscious of. So it's really just a process of self-reflection and getting in touch with the things that might not be obvious to us on the surface and you know this takes work and um, it takes the willingness to sit with uncomfortable feelings and to acknowledge the darkness within us to you know engage with our own shadow and um, kind of embark on that underworld journey to where we meet that um dark twin of ours you know and bring it into the light so that instead of it working against us unconsciously and manifesting in all these sort of unpleasant ways in our experience we bring those shadows into the light and they become allies of ours because we understand them and we can embrace them with love without giving them the power to um, hurt us or destroy us but we embrace Mm -hmm. them with love and hold space for them so that they can be an integrated part of us
1: Okay. Well, you know, since 2017, there's been a lot of, I'm going to say the darker energy coming to the surface, which I think is a good thing because you need to understand everything that's going on. Um, but how can we get to the point of transmuting the darker, denser energy for ourselves, because we can't do it for anybody else, so that we can, as a a, a mass, a group, elevate ourselves. It's like, you know, I I look at this um, exploration of the shadow self as like the first step of ascension, where Mm -hmm. we, you know, uh, see it, understand it, and then move on. Uh, What are your thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, I think um, once we get in touch with it, and we have an awareness of it, then we can begin to break it down. We can look at maybe where it originated from. And, you know, in therapy, this is a big thing. You look at your childhood and like the roots of your trauma and that sort of thing. Um, And that can be really, really beneficial. So long as we don't get stuck in the blame game where we uh, take responsibility in the present moment for how we can shift this and transmute it. So Mm -hmm. becoming aware of it, understanding maybe where it came from, understanding what these shadow parts of ourselves need uh, in order to be nourished and then making some changes in our lives to address that. And yeah, from there, I think engaging creatively in some way or working in the physical world in some way to almost like a ritual of integration and acknowledgement for these parts of ourselves so in, in the creative process, whether you're um, working in your garden, making a painting, making music, working on a piece of writing, working on your business, you can kind of infuse these shadow forms that you're wanting to integrate into that process and allow it to inspire you and help you um, express that in some way. hmm And once we can get that externalized in some form of expression in the outer world, then we can look at that as a reflection and it will start to communicate back to us. And this dialogue unfolds between the inner and outer. And I think that's really where that transmutation happens is when we start to understand the relationship between what's happening within us and what's happening outside of us and vice versa. So, yeah, I think finding some way to ritually acknowledge these parts of ourselves and give them a space to be transmuted. Okay. Well, in your book you talk about
1: the importance of dream work and I'm looking as at that as something that is within but you know you can have the wonderful dreams where everything is light and fluffy and then you can have the hellish nightmare. How do we integrate both <laughs> both ends of that spectrum <laughs> to help ourselves move forward?
2: Well, I think all dreams, whether they're scary or really beautiful, have something to teach us, something to communicate from the unconscious side of ourselves and taking the time to write them down, um, to interpret them, and then to, in the same way, kind of acknowledge them somehow in our lives by making some sort of um, action or change that uh, speaks to our unconscious and communicates that we're listening and that we are engaging with it. And so if we're having like a lot of nightmares, we might want to talk to those dream figures that are really scary to us. And active imagination is a way that we can re-engage a dream with the conscious mind. And it was a technique developed by Carl Jung, and I'm sure you're aware of it, but Essentially, if you're working with a dream and you've got a dream figure that's maybe really intimidating or scary or terrifying and you want to ask it, you know, what it wants and why it's coming to you, you can go into an imaginative state um, while you're awake and clear your mind, maybe do a little bit of meditation to just clear out the distracting thoughts and the chatter and then make an invitation to the unconscious, to communicate with you and specifically to that dream figure. And then you wait for it to to come to you. And you might, if you're um, good at visualizing, you might see the figure again, or maybe you just get a feeling for its presence. And then you can begin a dialogue with it and ask it questions. And as you're dialoguing with it, you can write these questions down that you're asking and write down their responses. So the way that I like to do it is to go in and out of that imaginative state. So I'll close my eyes, ask the question, wait for the response, and then I'll come out, I'll write down what happened, and I'll go back in for the next question. And I'll do that until I feel complete. And usually there's some sort of bargaining that you can do with these difficult dream figures, because they really, they're a part of us that's asking for attention. You know, if there's something dream figure that's really violent or scary, they're asking for something. And um, through this act of imagination, we can determine what that is and come to terms with them in a way that we can give them something that will satisfy their needs while also uh, resolving these bad dreams that we're having with them.
0: Hmm.
1: So what I gather from what you're saying no matter what we do, everything truly boils down to the imagination and how we intend to utilize it?
2: I think so. I think so. Because yeah, when we're engaging with um, these inner parts of the self, we're using the imagination. And then when we are wanting to manifest something or create something in our lives, we're engaging with the imagination. And they're just two different ways of using the imagination. One is for internal communication and understanding and learning about the self. And the other is for creating something that we want to experience uh, or a desire that we have and bringing that forth into reality. And all of this goes along with an intentional use of the imagination. You know, and of course there's daydreaming and fantasy and that has its part too, but I really tried to differentiate between that and intentional or true imagination in the book, because when we get stuck in a a fantasy or we find ourselves daydreaming, this is often an unconscious use of the imagination and it can be, it's totally wonderful. You know, we can go off into a fantasy and have a wonderful experience Or sometimes maybe we go into a sort of nightmare fantasy where we start imagining terrible scenarios. Um, But the problem with that is that we're doing that unconsciously. And if we're doing it with a lot of emotional feeling wrapped up in it, then it could have problematic results.
1: Why is it that family members tend to have horrific dreams or sometimes even thoughts about things happening to other family members, and it's not. I don't think it's an intentional thing. Maybe it is. I don't, but I don't think it's an intentional thing. I just think the worst is going to happen to them, where where it's an accident or something else bad happens to them. Why do you do that? Because to me, that's projecting negative energy onto them.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a saying. I'm not sure where it comes from, but um, worrying is like praying for what you don't want. And Mm -hmm. I think that's very true. Uh, And we tend to do that, I think, because maybe if we imagine the worst possible scenarios uh, for a loved one or for ourselves, then we're somehow preventing it from happening. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe there's some sort of logic there. But, and I used to do this a lot, actually, I would catch myself and just imagine these horrific things happening and be like, why am I doing this? And over time, becoming more consciously aware of my thought patterns and kind of working to change them, transmit. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that I've come to do, because, you know, it still happens sometimes where I'll think about something or I'll start worrying about something, but I tend to catch myself pretty quick and just say, Nope, that doesn't need to happen. And then instead I replace that thought with all of the things that I would like to see happen. And I start uh-huh. engaging with that, fantasy, you know, and allowing that yeah. to play out in my mind. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. It truly makes a, a big difference. I have a lot of moms that, you know, um, work with me and they're always worried about their kids, whether their kid is two or 42 and, you know, they're, they're so afraid for the child. And I can understand that being a mom, but I always tell them shift whatever you're afraid of into something positive, exactly. you know, And just you know, let the positivity, you know, go and and you know, watch the change.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, engaging in the imagination in that way is not a familiar thing. But once you get into it and you start imagining all the things that you would like to experience, that you would like to see for your loved ones, that you'd like to see for the world, it fills you with so much positive energy and good feeling. And then you're, you know, if you get really into it and you're doing um, intentional imagination, like I describe in the final chapter of the book, um, that feeling of just satisfaction and joy and gratitude fills you up to such a degree that you start to just spill it out everywhere around you. And I don't see anything bad coming from that.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um In the end of your book, it might be in the appendix, I can't remember. You have a really kick-butt meditation, the elemental meditation. Tell us about that because I
2: found it to be extremely powerful. Yeah, I mean, I think working with the elements is just super basic to any sort of magical or creative practice and understanding how each of the four traditional elements really plays out in our lives. And so, you know, we've got earth and that relates to the physical world and to structure and routine and vitality and health um, and to our home as well. And then the water element, which is related to creativity and to our emotions and our relationships and to our ability to kind of go with the flow and to express our emotions. And then the fire element, which has to do with our focus and our action, our energy and drive, our ambition, also our ego and our vision. And then uh, the air element, which relates to communication and the mental realm and thought and to a feeling of lightness and movement and clarity. So Mm -hmm. if we look at all of those elements and we kind of take an inventory of how they relate to our life, um, how those elements are being expressed or experienced in our life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe we start to see that one of the elements is really deficient, you know, Um, or maybe we start to see that one is really excessive. You know, if we're like super uh, attached to our routine and structure, and we get thrown off anytime there's any sort of, um, interruption to our routine. And it really like just destroys us. Then we might want to look at, you know, breaking down that earth element a little bit and balancing it out with some air or giving it a little water to kind of soften up the earth, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. break it apart. And so maybe we need to have a little more lightness and movement in our lives with the air element. Um, Or maybe we need to allow for a little more spontaneity and flow with the water element so i think this is just a really basic way of kind of bringing ourselves to balance and the meditation is just a way to introduce people to um engaging with that level of awareness
1: Mm -hmm. and folks um the elemental um, meditation is worth the price of the book alone i mean you get ton of other information, but if nothing else, get the book, do that meditation. If you're truly looking to adjust your life, take that next step in your evolution, this meditation will definitely help you.
2: Now, seven, when we go to your website, what are we going to see there? Well, I've got uh, my art gallery. And so you can see all my paintings in the gallery. I've got information about this book and where you can find it. Um, it's available through all the major booksellers and also information on my previous book which we talked about last time i was on the show Mm -hmm. um i've got a shop where you can order prints of most of my artwork and then you know i've got a list of interviews that i've done if you want to hear more of um more about the book and other interviews um Newsletter. You can subscribe to links to my Patreon account where you can actually uh, subscribe to my blog. And right now, I'm doing um, a year long walk through the decans. So I'm doing a post for every one of the 36 astrological decans. So you can join me on Patreon for that, as well as to see sneak peeks of work that I'm doing behind the scenes in the studio. And yeah, there's more on the website, but. Um, Folks take a look. (laughs) Okay,
1: (laughs) Um, You will um, be enchanted by um, what you see there. Um, Seven, I've really enjoyed our time together and we're at the end, but give us a pearl of wisdom for the audience.
0: Mm.
2: My pearl of wisdom for today, and this is coming from my personal experience of preparing for leaving town tomorrow and um, just kind of going into a total Virgo crazy mode is to slow down take a deep breath Mm -hmm. and trust that everything is going according to divine timing and divine planning and that everything will be great (laughs) Mm, trust that big word (laughs) (laughs) but it's a
1: wonderful word if we can you know trust ourselves thank you very much for sharing your information today and sharing about this book and folks You know, again, great fall, winter read. The price of the meditation at the end is worth the price of the book alone. You will get a lot of information that will allow you to grow if you choose to grow. So I appreciate Seven and her time today. I know the audience does too. And everyone, please remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of discovering your imagination and discovering the art and alchemy of love. Open the blessings, light and love to all.